Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Billy, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yeah, of course. Um, it's nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Robbie. Um, my name is Billy Proctor, or my academic name is Dr. William Proctor. Um, I'm an associate professor in popular culture at Bournemouth University, which is in the south of the United Kingdom. Um, and I research a lot of things, really, but the most recent thing that I've released is a book called Reboot Culture, Comics, Film and Transmedia. And that was published this month for Pat, um, by Palgrave Macmillan. So what is a reboot? That's an interesting t term because I feel like the term's been co-opted in recent years by entertainment journalists. And it's kind of snowballed to mean what it never, what it never used to mean. Um, so when I started doing the research into reboots, it was around um, we'd had Batman Begins, the Christopher Nolan Batman reboot. Um, and then the terms just started to take on a life of its own, if you like. Um, and entertainment journalists kept using it to mean to generally revise or revamp something for a new generation. Um, but it had a very specific meaning in the comic book community. And the first um, example I've been able to find is from 1994. So in broad strokes, a reboot refers to the complete erasure of a pre-existing continuity, and we begin begin again from the from the start. That's 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 the easiest way to look at it. So, um, Batman Begins certainly qualifies as a reboot because what it does is it ignores the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher films from Batman in nineteen eighty nine to Batman and Robin in nineteen ninety seven. That was such a catastrophic failure. So, if we think about it in terms of rebooting a computer, you know, when you when you when you when you get a screen crash. Um, or a problem with your computer freezing, you log off and log back on. You shut the computer down. You log it back on so that it's um, hopefully it repairs the error. So the terms like about there was first of all there was a crash, and that crash was George Schumacher's Batman and Robin, which was universally vilified by um, Bat fans across the networked world. This is at a time remember when um, the internet is starting to become more and more popular as a domestic technology. Um, so that was the first time, really, where we had fans being able to respond and give feedback online and that absolutely torpedo a film. And we see it more and more often these days um, on Twitter and other social media. Um, but but at this time, this was people getting really upset about the fact that um, Joel Schumacher had effectively camped up Batman, much in the way that the 1960s TV series did. Um, so, so it's kind of like a system crash. There's an error in the franchise what are we going to do now? And it took eight years for Batman Begins to, cut, to, to come out, and they, they, they did shift it to more darker territory, um, which seems to be what a lot of Bat fans want. They, want. they want their Batman to be grim and gritty, as the term was in the 80s, when we had things like um, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. So, so you have a crash, and then to reboot it, you say, right, let's forget about all that, ignore it completely, in terms of continuity, and we start again. We start from scratch. And um, so that's what reboot meant initially. Um, but now it's used generally to mean anything that could be a relaunch, um, a retcon, which is another comic book term, which means retroactive continuity, where you revise something in the story world, but you don't cancel everything out. I'm just thinking of examples of, of, of the term reboot being used incorrectly, I would say. And um, I would say when when um, Disney bought Star Wars in 2012, um, and, and there was going to be a new see a, a new episode seven, which even George Lucas thought would never happen. 
entertainment journalists and academics as well started to call it a reboot, The Force Awakens. But it's not a reboot because it's episode seven. It's the next part in the saga, if that makes sense. Um, it's a relaunch for sure. And these are all uh, what I call in the book strategies of regeneration. There, there, there's many different ways that things that are old can become new again. So my point was saying, well, we've got the term reboot. What other terms do we have that can explain other things? So we do see a lot of things returning, don't we? So the X-Files returned. Uh, but it wasn't a reboot. It was a relaunch. Um, Doctor Who in the UK, that came back in 2005, the same year as Batman um, Begins came out, interestingly. And then in 2006, we had Casino Royale, the James Bond reboot, which kind of said, right, forget everything you know about James Bond. We're going to start from the beginning. Daniel Craig is the new Bond. Interestingly, grim, grim and gritty, like Batman. Um, and then thinking, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, an, an interesting case, case is um, what J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek. Because what he did was he kind of tried to do two things at once. He was trying to reboot it. But because he put it in a parallel universe, that protected the old continuity because Star Trek fans would likely get angered at the fact that um, they would cancel out um, the likes of William Shatner as Captain Kirk and Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. So with things like the X-Files, Gilmore Girls, um, Bates Motel. Call us now Gilmore things. Girls. <laughs> yeah. So when Gilmore Girls came back, that was more of a relaunch. Um, because it wasn't cancelling anything. anything. Um, but what's really interesting about the Flash movie, because before we started, you were mentioning how much you loved the Flash movie, even though it was slated. Um, is well, that you didn't the... like it? You didn't like it? No, no. I actually saw it in Leicester Square in London on the hugest screen possible. So yeah. I had fun. I had fun. I, you got to laugh at some of the moments. Like I like how they depicted that he was going back in time because he just started running backwards. And I was like, all right, like you just got to give that a good laugh or a chuckle. And the George Clooney, I mean, he wasn't a good Batman in my opinion, but you know, I, from the ending part was just like, all right, you had him in there. That was good enough for me. And then seeing Nick Cage in it, I just thought it did a lot, but I don't know. I'm, I'm my low bar for movies. I know a lot of hardcore fans that would just crap on those movies, but I also thought the green lantern was good and everyone had a problem. Even Ryan Reynolds with that one. Yeah, I, you know, these are superhero movies. Um, I think there's been a lot of problems with the DC Extended Universe in general. Um, but I did enjoy The Flash. I'm not saying it's going to win an Oscar or anything like that. It was just good fun. It was good to see Michael Keaton back. Although I do think he was a kind of different Batman to the Tim Burton version. He was more... He was he was he was, he was lighter. He was more jokey. He was, he was seasoned too. Like you can tell he's yeah. he stepped out of the game, which I liked a little bit. Yeah, he stepped out of the game. But what is interesting about The Flash is what you've just mentioned, the fact that George Clooney comes back at the end and it seems like Barry Allen's changed time to the point that now Batman and Robin is back into continuity, which kind of means that he's being, um, in the book I call it, debooted. So so, so it's, it's it's a reboot. So, sorry, um, Batman and Robin was cancelled out of the continuity, but because of the whole multiverse thing where you're going to have many different... Um, versions of characters across the multiverse. It means that somewhere, um, Adam West still exists as Batman, and so does um, George Clooney. That shifts the reboot culture, though. If you talk about the essence of taking something, not maybe in the exact same way, but just different. It seems like a reboot is. I mean, from the maybe the wrong way is kind of looking back at something 
and saying, all right, well, there's still the Batman story. There's Christian Bale, There's, but that's not necessarily the essential. It's not every scene is shot the same. It's not every villain is the same. It's just something that's different in a more modernized time. I mean, to me, the multiverse, now with like the single Robert Pattinson's Batman, that version, or the other ones that come out, if they kept making more Batmans, you're going to look at it like, oh, it's the multiverse, or oh, it's this another dimension type thing. So now it doesn't even, I mean, does that shift the reboot style of thinking now that you could have 50 different batmans they don't all have to be on the same timeline because before that's all we thought about was oh god captain america he went from he was used to be the human torch i can never get over that they just took him away from me but then i look at him now i go well, it could be the multiverse i mean there could be another chris evans even though that was a little bit before i'm just saying it's the multiverse has opened up a door now where people will, in their own minds kind of will finish the pieces that might not necessarily be connected through the film yeah, I think we could use the multiverse as a concept to describe popular culture in general. Even something like Harry Potter. You've got one Harry Potter, really, which is J.K. Rowling. But you have the films as well, so there's another version. If you just think of them on different worlds or different universes, then it works. But the multiverse as a concept, I mean, in comic books, comic book fans have been well-versed in uh, multiverse concepts since the 60s. And it's in 1961 where DC Comics, Comics introduces the multiverse in um, The Flash of Two Worlds, where Jay Garrick and Barry Allen, the, Jay Garrick being the first Flash from the Golden Age, meeting Barry Allen for the first time. So then what you have is you have this expansive narrative canvas where you can have different types of, different versions of The Flash, different versions of Batman. So then it becomes more difficult to, to kind of reboot something when there's just so many different versions existing within the same um, narrative tapestry if you like what would you say qualifies for a reboot like is it only things with large impacts um whether it's fan basis or whether it's just quality um it seems like you mentioned star trek earlier we talk about batman these are huge cultural um monoliths i would say at least when it comes to popular culture um star trek even though they're not making the old william shatner ones there's still either a newer movie that people can like or dislike but there's a it's still around and it still kind of keeps up through the times it doesn't just die off at I'll, I'll give you a really bad example but the nanny that show that went out it gave me nightmares but that never that didn't last the cultural impact of anything it kind of just stayed in that time period but they'll rerun it they'll keep playing it over and over again so it's still around well i think rebooting it is about it doesn't have to be you can reboot anything that well the first thing thing, thing to say is a reboot is a, a serial narrative it's it's a series um, you, you don't reboot a single film, you remake a single film. So I think there's a difference. Um, but I think you're right. It's about these long-running entertainment franchises that perhaps get to a point where they're just exhausted. Um, they've run out of ideas. Like Batman um, Batman and Robin was universally hated, so they thought, okay, should we push the reset button here? Um, with James Bond, before Daniel Craig took over, you had Pierce Brosnan in Die Another Day, which in box office terms was a massive success. But... Bond had become campy again, um, just like Batman had become campy again, more humorous, more comedic, less earnestness, less seriousness. Happened with James Bond in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s with Roger Moore. So you've got this kind of continuum between light and dark, um, and it's never really as simple as just to say, well, um, it's one or the other. There's always a, It's always more nuanced than that. I mean, Christian Bale makes jokes in, in, in the films, you know, he, he kind of says... Um, in the beginning of the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight, the second film, 
and he's fighting a couple of goons in a in a multi-story car park of sorts. And the guy says, what's the difference between me and you? We're trying to fight crime. And Christian Bale says, I'm not wearing hockey pads. So he's kind of still got these little quips. So the idea that you have light and dark, but there is a kind of shift. I think more recently, well, I say recently, I include 2005's Batman towards something that's taken more serious. Um, comic books, for first decades, have been thought to be kids stuff. So in the 80s, with all of these shifts towards more mature storylines, um, they wanted comic books to be taken more seriously. So instead of having collected editions, you have what they call graphic novels now. So it sounds like it's um, they're trying to pursue a literary kind of um, credence towards it so that people can take them more seriously. I'd say the same with Bond. Um, but with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, although I do think in recent years that's really hit the skids, um, it's it's like I used to watch all those films and I'm catching up now and I never used to. I used to always see them on opening day and it's just they've run out of ideas again. So probably might be time for either a reboot or a massive um, revision of some sort, whatever strategy of regeneration they use, um, because it's just not serious. It's not dark. The MCU is about fun. It's about entertainment. Um, if you've seen the Thor films, they, they, they've gone so far towards comedy that there's hardly any threat in the films anymore. Um, so we've had nearly 20 years of superhero movies, and I think now they're starting to buckle. We're starting to see some. You think that vein, that little superhero vein, uh, is starting to kind of feel like it's all mined up when it comes to time? And, and I think the MCU has spread themselves a little too thin. And I know people go, well, they didn't make a movie for however. I'm like, they've made a lot of movies. It seems like every movie in theater sometimes is an MCU film. And DC, I mean... A lot of people don't really like some of the stuff that they've been producing, at least amongst my friends. I like them all. I mean, even the Robert Pattinson's Batman could probably have been a little bit shorter. It was it felt like I was in there for four hours. Um, but I like that dark tone to it because I do like to see the seriousness. But I also like to see like I love Thor, Love and Thunder. But a lot of people didn't like that when they said it was really short and it just seemed more. Like he was a jokester rather than the serious Thor that everyone loved. And I go, yeah, I, I, I think at this point, it's not that they're running out of ideas. They're just put, trying to push out too much content too fast to stay on this train. But I'm, I'm curious if that like the word campy, I mean, do you find that with just loyal from your perspective, do you find with yourself or with loyal fans that are part of this fan base that they don't like the campy series as much? Because I would have to think when Adam West was on television as batman they had to do a campy type series because you can't get a dramatic serious storyline and like a, however long those shows were playing on tv that's like the best that's only suit for films so maybe we're comparing a film series batman versus a tv series batman uh, i think i mean what, what it would be wrong to say that all batman fans want a dark batman because he it's... had shark repellent billy he had shark repellent he did <laughs> And, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't think it was campy or funny. I thought it was deadly serious. I was 10 years old, so I didn't read it like that. Um, but there were a lot of Batman fans in the 60s who thought this was an affront, that this was um, something that didn't represent the their pure vision of what Batman should be, and that would be dark, a vigilante. He's a hard arse. He's, he's like a soldier. He's militaristic. Um, but there's many different – there's many lives of, of Batman that we've seen over the past – when did he come? 1939. So you're looking at 80 years of Batman. There's many different, there's no such thing as a single stable dominant Batman at any time. But um, 
Um, I, do I like the campy Batman? No, I just think that Batman and Robin, the Joel Schumacher film, is a bad movie. It's not about the camp politics. Camp can work. Camp can work fine. Um, I love the 1960s Batman TV series for that reason, because it's absolutely absurd, but so much fun. And you know, I've I've even got like a like a, a model of the of the original Batmobile from the 1966 series. I love it. Um, but I just thought Batman and Robin was it was a bad movie. Uh, it wasn't just that it was campy. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger was atrocious. The script was terrible. The acting was awful. But if I was going to think of something good about it, the set design was was impeccable. There were some great things about that movie. Um, but there's also problems with Christopher Nolan's movies. I like them. Um, I like The Dark Knight best of all, I would say. Um, but there's some problems, with, like in Batman Begins at the end when it's the whole train thing and manhole covers blowing. It gets a bit silly. So there's even silliness in Christopher Nolan's stuff. Um, but I really like the Robert Pattinson Batman. I really like that. Yeah, I really like the darkness. Like you, I think um, they could have chopped off 30 minutes. Um, because like you, my ass was sore in the cinema. <laughs> um, but but I really like the way that they handled the, the Riddler. I really like Paul Dano's performance. Although you could you could easily say, um, well, it's that's what Heath Ledger would have done. You know, he's kind of borrowed from the the way that Heath Ledger did the Joker. Um, but I thought overall, I, I, I really I was really impressed by it because I didn't expect a lot. And um, because these reboots seem to be coming fast, faster than they used to. Um, and something I talk about in in the book is that um, reboots were initially. And I'm talking about film reboots, not comic book reboots. And we can come on to comic books and, and why I've decided not to read them anymore because there's too many reboots and relaunches. But um, after Christopher Nolan, everyone was saying, yeah, reboot everything. Reboot Bond, that was a big success. Star Trek was a big success, although uh, a lot of original Star Trek fans were, were, were pissed. Um, you can't please all the people all of the time after all. Um, but when Spider-Man was rebooted shortly after Spider-Man 3, that's when people started that's, to turn. It's when it went downhill, I can tell you that much. Yeah, so when Amazing Spider-Man... So we're talking about um, Spider-Man 3 was 2007, I think, the, the last Sam Raimi one. And then within within three years, they says we're going to re reboot Spider-Man again, and people started to... There was a backlash, for sure. Um, so when, the, when they said they were rebooting Batman um, with Ben Affleck, which is interesting because the, the the kind of reboot Batman, but he's not rebooted from the beginning again. He's at the end of his career. He's a grizzled um, Batman um, in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And he's kind of rebooted in a film with Superman, even though Superman had been rebooted in Man of Steel. So the timeline in the DC universe is a bit weird, seeing as though we only see Batman as an old Batman. And then there was the backlash against Ben Affleck, but there's been a backlash against... Michael Keaton, there was a backlash against um, um, Christian Bale. There was a backlash against Robert Patterson. So there's no way that that um, they'll hire someone who everyone would be happy with. Um, I think Robert Patterson's a great actor. Um, I'm not a fan of the Twilight films at all. They're not for me. I'll admit, I like a couple of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I mean, everyone has their own taste and what they like. That's That's, that's great. It's only the, like the last movie when people's heads are getting ripped off. I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. I'll skip the other drama stuff in the beginning. Yeah. 
yeah, but but Robert Patterson's done a lot of other films um, in the indie circuit where he's proved that he's got acting chops. So I wasn't bothered about that. I just I, I was just thinking, well, you're rebooting Batman for the third time this in the 21st century. Um, but I thought Matt Reeves did a fantastic job. The, the major criticism I have is it's so dark in some scenes that you can hardly see anything. And I mean dark in terms of the lighting. Yeah. It's a, and it's, I think it's always real. The best, best penguin I've ever seen was in that Robert Pattinson's Batman. That wasn't that whoever that actor was, he did an excellent job. And I don't think they've ever really had a good, I mean, Danny DeVito, I'm not going to shame on him because he's done great work and everything that he does. I love that guy. But I just feel like in that newer version, it was something that I was like, I would see a whole movie series about him. Like kind of like what Joaquin Phoenix did with um the Joker. That was really, really dark. And a lot of people really like that movie, but it brings up to a bigger question with all these films getting dark. Are they depicting too much of realistic type stuff? I mean, we saw, I don't know if you've seen the show, The Boys. That's a great series. And I think it's because it is kind of real. Like how would normal people or real people act if they had superpowers? Maybe not everybody's a psychopath like Homelander, but there's definitely scenarios where, you know, if someone ran right through somebody because they had super speed, that's a realistic thing. And then you have to deal with all these lawyers coming to your house and being like, hey, we don't want you talking to anybody. To me, that was like, I'm in. That's crazy because we I've ne- I, that would 100% be a real scenario. Watch one of these superheroes not pay their taxes. See see how fast the IRS comes out. We saw what happened to Wesley Snipes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you've got to, like, I think the boys draws from the, the Alan Moore Watchmen template, which is what if these heroes existed in the real world? These absurd creations. Um, and, and the boys takes it one step further with the, with the hyper-violence, the but it's it it's kind of jokey as well. It's kind of deconstructing the genre. Um, it's 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 got its tongue rooted firmly in its cheek. I think DC have done that more than most to say, um, this this idea of realism. Um, so so Christopher Nolan was very much saying we want to situate Batman in the real world, and I think Matt Reeves takes that even further, um, because like you say, the Penguin is not the bumbling, cackling mad Danny DeVito from Batman Returns. He's he's played by Colin Farrell, by the way, with lots of prosthetic makeup. I could not recognise him. No, I couldn't even recognise his voice. I, th- I, I thought he reminded me of Joe Pesky. Joe Pesci. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah, I thought, I, th- I thought, but yeah, it was just too long. That was the only co- uh, complaint that I've got. But there is definitely a, um, a shift towards, or, or there has been a shift towards more realism um, in superhero movies, especially the DC ones, um, except, you know, I enjoyed Man of Steel for what it was, Batman versus Superman. I, I, I didn't hate it as much as most people, but um, it is quite a dour film. It's quite depressing. Do you think it's because you, like, Superman's always depicted as this strong kind of good nice oh and it seems like a lot of like the newest batman versus superman got kind of really dark i mean he died i mean i think everybody expected him to come back but it was just a lot more heavier i mean you saw a lot more realistic scenarios someone tried to someone blew themselves up trying to get rid of superman which i'm sure he probably didn't think it was effective but he managed to set off a bomb without superman knowing i mean that stuff like a lot of people are scared about today when they go places which i think added a lot of realism to it and I mean, I don't know. I feel like the 
saying that like superheroes, they might have used to be about kids going to see these movies and parents going with their kids. But some of the newest stuff, I was like, I would not take my kid to go see the Joker. I wouldn't take my kid to go see something like that. It's just I just don't feel like that's something they should be exposed to, even though I can hear them say the F word or something. That's fine. But just watching people go through depression, I'm like, oh, you don't want to know what that is yet. Just scoot, scoot off to the side. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think the, there's kind of a if we think about the superhero. Let, let's say that the superhero zeitgeist, if we like, starts in two thousand and one with the X Men, Brian Singer's film, and then we get this glut of films that's lasted for twenty two years now. Really, um, there's lots of different shades. You do have the the Superman versus Batman stuff, and um, which is quite dark. And um, the main complaint I think from Superman fans that I read online was that that's not Superman. Superman is a beacon of hope and optimism. And I mean, the, the emblem on his chest is Kryptonian for hope. But then you have a, a, a really famous comic book writer like Mark Waid, who um, has written Superman a few times. Um, he, he said it's not Superman. It's it, What's more interesting is it seems that they've tried to dark nightify Superman. They've tried to make him kind of more brooding. Um, black Black suit and, and all too. Yeah, yeah, and, and and another thing I find really interesting is you know Superman dies in the second film, like you like you you, you said, and comes back in Justice League. That happened in comics in nineteen ninety two in the Death of Superman storyline, but that's after um forties. So that's after fifty years almost of, although it was for fifty years I believe. And um, so it took fifty years for that to happen. It took two movies, so the time becomes much more condensed. Um, and that happens quite a lot with these movies, like with Iron Man dying in the MCU and um, spoilers, people. But if you haven't seen these films, they're all on Netflix, so just go yeah, check it out. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah, but it's kind of like time time becomes condensed. And, you know, people are talking about the multiverse now as if it's a new thing for comic book fans. This is this has been stapled for, for 60 years now. Now, has any of these superhero movies kind of stayed along the lines of the comic books or have they just completely verged off into their own thing? Because I would have to think if I'm not too familiar with the comic books, but maybe read a couple here and there, but there's so many out there. But I think loyal fans who actually read the I was literally just talking to someone in my work about this. He was telling me everything about the actual history of some of the comic books. Um, but Batman and things of that sort. And I was like, I only know the ones I'm able to see on television or watching a movie theater. So I've looked up maybe a couple of my favorites, like Wolverine, some comic series like that, and Deadpool when that came out. But I don't know how different they are. Do you find that fans get really upset because they're attached to the comic book version, whether it's what they grew up with or if it's something that they've just been more interested in because it does give you significant more details than the films do? Well. First of all, I would say that there's no such thing as a as a single comic book fan. Like all comic book fans have different thoughts and different opinions. So <clears throat> even though we would call them adaptations, it's very it's it's not like they're adapting a specific storyline, but kind of creating a remix of different stories. So um yeah, in, in Batman versus Superman, you have elements of the Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller with Ben Affleck being an older Batman. We also have parts of the Death of Superman storyline with Do and with Doomsday killing Superman. That's the thing. So you have these kind of remixes and, and new elements put in as well. Um, I think the closest we've got to adaptation is maybe Zack Snyder's um, version of Watchmen. That was that was almost too faithful in some people's minds. 
So it's uh, with audiences, you just, I mean, the, the, the the studios think that they can guess what fans want and like you know read social media and they try to appease to fans too much after the last jedi and that's how we got rise of skywalker and what a nightmare that was that was an awful film for star wars fans i would say and so but it's interesting like um the flash movie which you and i both both enjoyed um it's it's kind of taken a storyline from from flashpoint a DC comic book series that led into the new 52 in 2011, which was kind of um, relaunching all the DC titles, some of which were reboots, some of which weren't. So that confused the continuity and confused fans anyway. Um, so that that's kind of, I would say that's kind of an adaptation of the idea, the idea that Barry Allen goes back in time to save his mum and creates um, this hellish dystopian landscape. Um, so, so in the Flashpoint comic, Thomas Wayne and um, Bruce Wayne's father be, it becomes Batman after his son's killed in the alley. So similar things were kind of transposed onto film. Um, but superhero fans are very passionate people, especially those who read the comics. And if you if you get something wrong or if they feel that something's not true to the character, then all it takes is a keyboard and access to Twitter to start to, um, to vent their rage across the network world. Would you call turning a comic book into a movie kind of like a reboot? Would it be along the lines of something like that, or would it be something completely separate? I would call it an adaptation, even though, I mean, principally we think an adaptation is just a one-to-one -one relationship, but really what adaptation means is, um, one of the ways it can mean is to take something from one platform and put it onto another, so comic to film. So it depends what the, orig the original material is. So even Star Trek films, you could argue, are adaptations of the TV series, even though they're not the same storylines. Although I think, to be fair, I think Star Trek's a little different because their continuity crosses film and TV, so it's more of a transmedia phenomenon. Um, but so it, yeah, I wouldn't call it a reboot, not me personally. Um, although you know, there's a lot of people who've kind of taken issue with um, how pedantic I am with what the definition of reboot is, but. If it starts a conversation, that's all I'm. That's all I'm interested in. Really, it's happy for everyone to disagree. What I tried to do was to track the history and where it all starts to change. And it all starts to change when the term becomes a buzzword. And the term becomes a buzzword round about two thousand and five, two thousand and six, with Batman Begins and Casino Royale. And I wanted to tackle that, and I wanted to look at the longer history. Um, so I am really pedantic. I will say, when did it slip into modern media to where people use it like journalism or something of that sort that kind of translates over from the film side of things? Um, well, interestingly, since the turn of the millennium, and really since Batman Begins, reboot is now being used in a lot of different ways for all sorts. So I was in um, I was uh, in the supermarket yesterday, and they were talking about there was a health magazine that was saying reboot your body for twenty twenty four. Um, you've had Bill Gates saying he's going to reboot the toilet. Um, I've got some of these examples at the beginning of my book, but there's like, if you look, if you type in reboot into Google and just look at all the different ways it's used all over the place for different things, reboot your body, reboot your sex life, reboot your business. So it became a, literally a buzzword. Everyone started to use this word for many different reasons. So I think that's where the confusion comes from conceptually with how we, we're defining films and, and other um, cultural products like um, TV and stuff. What do you think? So, are, yeah, 
Well, I'll say, what do you think are some of the problems with the way that we view culture when it comes to particularly like maybe pop culture, more like trendy kind of superheroes topics? I, I've had this discussion with academics in the past about like various superhero films or something of that sort. And they'll mention like that the progressiveness that's involved in some film, the politics. And I'm like, I don't even think about that when I go to the theater. I'm just like, I paid however much money to get a ticket and sit in the seat. I'm hoping that it's going to be good. And most of the time it's entertaining, but then after kind of talking to people who really analyze films, whether it's about LGBTQ content or things of that sort, I kind of started trying to do it myself to see if I could maybe point out some of the things. I do see it in there, but it's nothing I really would complain about. But I've just noticed some people feel like it's getting shoved at them or something. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's the times. It's really when you look at these companies, in my opinion, DC and Marvel, I don't think they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart. I kind of just think it's like, it's a great way to get money. I mean, hell, I can't charge them for that. They did spend however much millions of dollars on the Flash movie. I was like, they got to make it back somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, on the on from from one side, people see this uh, as so-called woke culture, woke culture, W-O-K-E, as kind of like shoving progressive politics down people's throats. But I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a Marxist. I'm a progressive um, union activist. So so I understand the politics of you know not having people of color or or LGBTQ plus people in movies for so many years, and now it seems like um, they're getting their due. That it's time for better representation. That's a fantastic thing. But I also agree with you. At this moment in time, diversity sells. They're not doing it for the good. For, <laughs> for for um selfless reasons they're not being altruistic and um, the reason why they did wonder woman um was because wonder woman well they did wonder woman and it sold gangbusters so you know they're going to try and do more of the same because let's if we cut through if we cut through the crap what the entertainment industries want is to make a profit that's their that's their raison d'etre that's why they exist um but if they can do that along the way by with better representation um, for me, it's all, it's all it's always about the story. Does the story work? Does it serve the story? Um, and like there are rumors that um, Tanahisi Coates was going to be doing a film man with a black a film with a black Superman, and I'm, I'd be interested to see that. I don't I don't I haven't got a problem with um, the the racial identity or the or uh, the diversity of characters. I'm just I just think as long as it tells a good story. The better representation, the the more widespread representation is, then that can only be the good a good thing to reflect how our society and our culture uh, is populated. They need to dust off Idris Elba and have him play Green Lantern because that's what I want to see is him play some Green Lantern for that's perfect casting right there. Somebody needs to get on it if anybody Marvel people are listening. But do you think it's because art? comic books, movies, they've always depicted the culture around us. It always has depicted the times. I think people now just think it's like right now, it seems like, oh, all these movies are just talking, it's all political, everything's like this. I'm like, well, it's kind of always had a little slight bias in or a political thing in it. It's just you're now seeing it because it might be something that is currently your mind is on. You know what I mean? It's, it's, conf it's conf try to hard to explain that, but it's just like, for instance, if you talk about like the woman in Doctor Strange, uh, the newest one that came out, the girl had two moms. I didn't see any problem with that at all. My grandma was a lesbian. I was like, that seems normal to me. It's fine. But my buddy was like, oh, they're just shoving it at you. I was like, what? I think your your mind is on it too much. You're thinking too much in the political thing. Usually kids in like their 
20s to 30s end up getting involved in politics. I'm getting interested a little bit into it too. But I go, it's because it's so up in your face that you're feeling like, oh, this is now being translated to the film. I'm like, it's not. It's just something that they put in there. He's like, but yeah, don't believe the company. The company doesn't, they don't really care about that, in my opinion. But for me, it was just trying to understand that there's always a political thing in any movie that you watch. It could be a basic film. There could be something you could point out a political bias in. And I think a lot of people aren't used to that. So when they go into something like a superhero movie, they're expecting to see none of that. They want to hear the same story or same character that they might have grown up knowing or might have seen in the past. And I'm like, then why are you guys complaining that they keep remaking something in the exact same way? I'm like, that's what you want, right? That's They can't appease you. That you never, Nobody's ever happy. No, no one's ever happy, but I think, I mean, in, in, in terms of your friend, is your friend white? He's actually black. Oh, really? And, and yeah. your, your black friend was having problems? Well, that's inter- That's very interesting. Um, I mean, in, in Hollywood especially, black people were represented as either slaves or servants for years. And in comic books, comic books were incred- incredibly white. For many, it wasn't until the 60s that Black Panther was created, and he's often seen to be the first black superhero. So th- it's very nuanced. It's very complicated. It's 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 like, yes, the, the another way to put it would be if, let's say, a Wonder Woman tanked, let's say a Black Panther as a film tanked, they would stop doing it. They would stop doing it because profit is their central ambition. But... I'm not going to be against a move towards better representation, whether it's trans, gay, bi, whatever, across the spectrum. Um, I don't think having a um, a lesbian couple in a film is shoving it down your throat. I, 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 don't, I don't think that. Um, but I can understand that it can make some people uncomfortable, especially politically, because it depends on where your political allegiances lie. Maybe it's also because the comic book itself, or maybe your personal understanding of it um, doesn't involve diversity of that nature. Um, but I think it's a good thing, and um, as long as the stories are still are still worth worth seeing. Um, because, I mean, I mean uh, uh, Zack Snyder's latest film on Netflix, Rebel Moon, is quite diverse. That's Zack Snyder's? Yeah, it's a terrible, it's a terrible film. Oh, damn. I was going to be yeah. like, I'm going to go watch that after this. I, I didn't well, you, realize. You, you should watch it because um, that's how we form our own opinions. Hey, I'd be interested, Robbie. You might find, you might say, hey, I didn't have a problem with it. For me, it's the script. Zack Snyder has always been, for me, a vision, um, a visionary director. What he puts on the screen looks fantastic, but the stories are always a little bit weak in some areas. And for me, this looks fantastic. But the story just isn't there for me. Um, but there's other, like I, I rewatched the um, the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy, um, and I watched them recently because my partner hadn't seen them, and she and um, she was in tears watching it. She was excited. She was jumping up and down. These these are just examples of popular culture franchises that can be done really well. Personally, because I've been researching superhero films and stuff, I'm kind of done with it all. Like I, really? I, I didn't go and. Yeah, I didn't go and see the new Aquaman. I don't care. Batman, I'll always go and see. Superman, I'll always go see. Wonder Woman, I'll always go see. Um, but the like um, for the Marvel Marvel films, like the Element, not the Elementals. That was Disney. What was it? The Eternals. That 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 was kind of really bad. 
Um, although I did like the Spider-Man movie with the three different Spider-Men because that kind of deboots the, re- the, the reboots in a sense. It brings them all back. It re- redeems uh, Andrew Garfield's um, Spider-Man's. I think popularity went up on his movies after that movie came out because people realized that, oh, it's a different Spider-Man. It's not the same Spider-Man. It's a whole other one that we're dealing with, which it is because it's a different actor and everything. But I think everyone depicts like before that multiverse thing, there was really no disconnect. It seemed like it was still a different version of Spider-Man, but it was still the same timeline. But yeah, that's that movie for me. No way home. I saw that in theaters. So when I got up midway through the movie to go to the bathroom, people would like look over and they do a double take. Like, who the hell? That guy looks like the kid on the screen, Uh, which I thought was hilarious because my buddy pointed it out to me. But Tom Holland is the best depiction, in my opinion, of Spider-Man just age wise. Uh, It it fits the personalities. Perfect. It's a kid. I mean, I'm sure he'll age out of that part. Uh, you know, playing Spider-Man, I think, I don't know how long that lasts. I don't think it's going to last as long as Toby's has, but Toby kind of formed his into an adult, like the storyline carried that way. But it it's kind of goes, I mean, I didn't see the Marvels, the whatever movies out right now with Brie Lawson. And it's not that I'm not interested in seeing women in a movie. It's just, I don't like, I don't have a favorite actor. Only reason I saw Iron Man was I loved Robert Downey Jr. And the next thing I know, I'm seeing all the movies involved with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see the Marvels either on the cinema. I will watch it when it comes to Disney Plus, um, but yeah, I just, just I've just lost interest. It's um, the comic books have have been not rebooted as such, but debooted. I would say in the sense that in the DC comics, especially, um, everything now counts in continuity. Everything that's happened since nineteen thirty eight. Um, all the reboots, all the retcons, all the relaunches, all exist in the continuity. So for a new reader, that's not. Po- there's no way you can dive into that as a new reader. Um, it's not for children anymore. It's really for people my age, 30 and 40 year olds and reading more comics. Um, but it's a dying medium. I mean, they're not, they used to sell millions and millions every month. Now it's like the top selling superhero comic would be so- somewhere around the 100,000 mark. Um, for for a monthly issue, um, that's that's I think it's sustainable now because of the movies. Is that because of like we have technology to get comic books on our phones now, or is that just like people just lost interest in having the actual physical copy? Because I do have a friend that buys like the original first edition of these comic books. Like he spent eight grand on some number thirty something of a Spider Man comic and has it in like glass on his wall. I'm like, you spent that much money on that? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, nerd. He's like, you're a nerd too, man. Shut up. I was like, yeah, I do. I have a couple of like little Funko Pops of some of the super. I have a lot of comics, but old original ones like Kiss comics because I'm my big family. My family's into Kiss a lot. So like I got those passed down to me. But that's like, I don't know. For me, that's just it's fun to collect. I like those things. But there's it's interesting to me hearing you say that there's kind of it's kind of dying off a little bit because for me it seems like everyone's wondering when's this comic book trend thing going to finally end whether it's just actual comics or whether it's the films i don't think it's a trend i don't think you could call a medium that's 100 years old as a trend well over 100 years old obviously depending on how we define a comic and it's not and maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe it's not dying completely it's just not as healthy as it was so the reason why people don't read as many comics now as they used to is because <clears throat> sales figures started to change once television came in in the 50s and 60s. So once you get competition from other media, you know, video games, 
Now you can stream anything. You can get access to any movie, any TV series within reason just by a click of a button on your TV. Then it becomes um, more difficult to attract younger readers. I mean, I'm a lecturer at a university, so, so I know what literacy rates are like in, in the UK, and I'm sure the US is similar. This is the first generation of young people whose literacy skills will not be better than their parents. So for, for, since industrialization, every generation improved upon their parents' um, ability to read. And this is the first generation where that's not happening. And that, so, so, yeah, I mean, the, the pessimist side of me, which is probably 90% of me, to be honest, <laughs> blames the internet for everything and just says, well, you know, my students just think that they can just go onto Wikipedia and read a couple of um, Forbes articles and then write essays and dissertations. Whereas when I was at um, university in the 90s doing English, we had to read three, four novels a week. That's just gone now. So I do think re it's easier to watch a Marvel movie than to read a Marvel comic. Um, and I do sound pessimistic. I'm cynical about it all because I'm a, I'm a, I was reading from a very young age. I mean, I'm on the autistic spectrum, so I'm what's called hyperlexic. I was reading at the age of three. Um, and reading is the biggest part of my life. And when I see young people just not engaging with books, comics, and the written word, it just it just really hurts my soul. I could I can read very well. I just it's hard for me to stay focused for so like sit down and read. So I have ADHD, so sitting down and reading something is like just very tasking unless I'm super interested into whatever I'm reading. And where I kind of got my start on reading really was Graphic Universe, that whole comic series that came out. Um, the only books I would pick out because I thought they were short and more comic book style. It's how I got an interest in Greek mythology. It's how I got an interest in old tales, legends of heroes, Perseus, all these types of things, because there were comic book versions of that in my library and just elementary school. So I'd read through those things. Next thing I know, when I started a podcast or reaching out to academics who study that or Rome or something so I could learn more, sparks up an interest. But there's everything now has to be in a video form or no one wants to look into it. And that's even with some older generations too, I've started to notice. I mean, a lot of people that still read books will read books, but Everything now, if they can Google it and hit videos, they want to see that lecture. Or they want to see something that's broken down for them, which makes me wonder if does that change the art or does that make it diminish? Does that make it end up fading away after a while? I mean. There's so much competition from, from just all sorts of different media sources. And um, I mean, I don't think books are dying out or anything. Um, I mean, I have ADHD as well. The way that The way that it works for me when I read is if I read, well, first of all, if I'm interested, so ADHD people can become hyper-focused if it's yeah. something they're interested in. Um, whereas if something if it's something that we're not interested in, you can try your best, but it ain't going in. It's the only we reason I'm interested in JFK, I can tell you that much. I don't know what triggered me, but it got me. Oh, well, if JFK got you, then you've gone down the rabbit hole. Deep, I'm sure. Deep, very deep. Yeah. So, so, But for me, when I read a novel, for example, um, I can't read a novel for 10 minutes. I have to sit down for two hours. And it takes about... 30 to 45 minutes before I forget that I'm reading. And that's when I'm in. And that, that's that's okay. But yeah, I mean, with neurodiversity, um, there's a lot of students who have been diagnosed uh, as neurodiverse. So there's a lot of things fighting for people's attention. So when I see a student in the library studying or writing for, for an assignment or for, for um, a final year project, they've got their mobile phone next to a laptop, next to a book, and they're switching between. It's kind of like ADHD, even though they're not ADHD. 
So they're just doing it. And I'm like, well, I couldn't do that. I have to, like, even if I'm reading, I can't, some people have music on in the background. I can't do that. I can't. I have to have silence. Um, And I'm not saying that my generation is better than the new generation because they're so much more computer literate than I am. I mean, what I can do is I can open a Word document. I can um, surf the internet and I can open up Zoom, like, to chat with, um, with you, but... Um, I'm not really computer literate in the in the sense that the the what we would call digital natives are um, who who just know everything about technology. So I think it's all. I mean, they're smarter in different ways, and I think we have to teach differently now. And um, they're, they're much they're, they're very imaginative, but they just it's just what I what I would really like to do is to find a way to inspire younger people to want to read. That's that's what I would love because. Um, like I have a I have a friend whose um, whose daughter is a voracious reader, and it was Harry Potter that got her started. So I think I think for, for for her, Harry Potter is like what Star Wars was to my generation, and I think so. I think what J.K. Rowling did was actually spark an entire industry of young adult fiction that didn't exist when I was a child. So more people reading, the better, I think. When it comes to AI and all these things that are coming out that are being more involved with the younger generations. I mean, do you think that it's just going to end up transferring to another medium where we'll have to adapt the tools with it? Like instead of like a book, an online book for me is a little bit easier to read than necessarily an actual book, even though I like the physical copy. Mm -hmm. I just, it, for some reason, it's the way that it's translated through a screen version sometimes helps out. And I share your sympathy or empathy towards the fact of wanting people to read. I think it's important, but it's just that its attention spans are so shot. I mean, I, I don't know how to get TikTok is killing that as far as it possibly can with 60 second clips all the time, which are interesting and they're fun. But hopefully it would inspire someone to go and search more about it. But I actually follow a couple channels that do superhero stuff on TikTok. And yeah, stuff I've never heard of, whether it's a quick fact, whether it's a quick little tidbit. And I'm like, if anything, it inspires me to get interested in the actual hero itself that I might have never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I'm not on social media. Um, I'm, well, good, I, for good for you. Good for you. I had a Facebook account. Um, Twitter turned out just to be a nest of vipers in the end. Um, TikTok, it's just not for me. It's just not my generation. I'd, but but the younger people, um, and when when I say younger people, I'm talking about the students that that I teach who are um, between eighteen and twenty one normally. Um, it's, I mean, there was one there was one student a few years ago. I was given a lecture and she just said, I have to leave now. It's an emergency. So I said, okay, go. Like, I don't need to know what it is. Just go. And I was thinking there was a family member in crisis or something, you know? And anyway, the student wandered back in 20 minutes later. And I said, is everything okay? Do you, are you okay? She says, yeah, I just left my phone in my dorm. And I was thinking, all right. So an emergency for a, for a youngster is not to have their phone. So they're almost like cyborgs. It's like an extension of their, their self. And it's fast. I mean, you'll see it everywhere you go. I'm sure it's the same in the states, Robbie. Go on a bus, go on the go on the underground or whatever, um, and and everyone's got their head in the phone. And this phone is a fantastic thing. I've got all of my music on this phone, so when I go for a walk, brilliant. I can watch movies on it. But but I'm just worried about what's being lost. And with AI now, I've just read a, a, a fascinating book called The Coming Wave, and it's about the the truth around AI and the fact that. Um, within five years, there will be an AI that you could say to it, you can instruct an AI and say, 
I have £10,000 to invest. I would like you to go and invest it in, say, Amazon Marketplace. And I want a return on a million of a million dollars in five years, and it'll go and do it. Now, the consequences of that sounds great, doesn't it? But if everyone's doing that, what does that mean for the world market? Well, it could collapse. We could, the the economy could be in dire straits. And um, so there's, but there's also lots of fantastic things about AI, like they'll be able to find new medicines for people, cures for cancer, and things. So, like the internet, the internet's not bad. The internet has great elements and it has bad elements. You know, it's it's. But maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm nearly fifty years old, and I've become a grumpy old man. No, I think it's very serious. Uh, I was going to do a, something special with um, the podcast when I hit fifteen hundred episodes, and it was to put myself through all the fifteen hundred I've done. I've stayed myself, so I was wondering how would an AI be able to recreate me from the fifteen hundred episodes and let me have a conversation with myself and see if I'd be able to get along with myself. Most people can't, um, but I, I was figuring it would be cool to do that. And as I was reading through the contract of it, it said, once you upload that content or it scans that content, it owns your image or whatever. It can own your voice. And I go, no, 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 no. That's a little too much. But it's, I mean, another stupid example would be I created a shirt with like seven of my faces on it. And I went to upload it on Teespring and they flagged it saying it's copyright. And I'm like, only person I had to go downstairs and ask my mom. I was like, you have my face or something? <laughs> my mom's like, no, I birthed it. And I was like, well, they're saying that's copyright. So I don't know what that is. And it showed me the image. Tom Holland, I'm not joking. Tom Holland actually put up a photo of three faces, but they were colorized. Now, it, the face was a little bit blurry, so they kind of look similar, but mine had way more faces. And I had to send them a, an email and say, hey, this is not his photo. This is my photo. You can tell because my hair is different than his. And um, they said, oh, we're so sorry. It was our algorithm. But I was just like, what? Like, is that going to be a concern of my voice, my face, any of these types of things that we put out there end up going to be used forever by whatever company or some agreement that it gets uploaded to? I mean, it scares kind of my generation of off technology. In my opinion, I try and stay off social media because it's just too addicting. But for a lot of people, that is their whole life, like you mentioned. Yeah, for me, it's too toxic. For me, it's kind of like trying to have a debate. And by debate, I mean a reasonable, rational argument. Rational argument with another fellow human being just turns into hate, and and, and just it's not about having a debate. A debate's not about being right or wrong. It's about trying to learn new things from other people, and they learn from you, right? It's a it's a to and fro. You never, it's never to find out the truth because the truth is always in inverted commas, unless you're talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I think uh, it was a fascinating book to read and all of the great things that AI is going to do. But the argument was we need some borders to to constrain some elements of this rather than to just let it grow organically and wild. Because, well, for me, being a geek, I've seen all the Terminator films <laughs> and Sky, Skynet emerges from AI and that didn't turn out too well. And I kind of think, holy shit, that could happen to the future. I'm probably wrong. I'm probably, probably it couldn't. But um, I mean... <clears throat> Look at what they did with the new Beatles song. I took John Lennon's voice from an old recording and AI cleaned it up. Um, it's fantastic. But yeah, what you said as well about images and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of actors who are concerned about that, about the fact that they could really create a new a new Elvis Presley song without Elvis being, well, he hasn't been around since 1977. So there's a lot of ethical considerations, I think. They're doing that with um the side characters in films, the background characters, the actors. Uh, they're 
going to just scan their face and then upload it to a bunch of different things to make it like a CGI background. Uh, you'd have to look that up and I'd have to look it up too to get the article correct. But they were talking about that they could easily do that instead of having all these people just be in the background. They could have a separate scene and just Photoshop or CGI people's faces to different bodies or different sculptures and make it seem like they're actually there. But then they can use you for anything. So you don't ever have to come back in like that one kid that's in every single backdrop. He's in the Spider-Man movies. He was kissing that famous model on television that made everyone really, really uncomfortable. If you've ever seen that during it's like five, seven years ago, maybe it was during the Super Bowl. Um, you hear the lips smacking and the saliva going, and this woman is like, she is a a, a, a twenty out of ten. She is just a, a a model from Sweden or something. And this kid, he knows what he looks like. I mean, I'm not shaming the kid at all, but he's been he's said it on the interview. But he's in Spider Man. He's in a bunch of these films, and you would never really know until they pointed out to you, like, there he is, there he is. But they talked about signing his name and everything, and he would get his face. He wouldn't have to be there to film anymore. They have him forever. They can just put him wherever they want him. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of ethical considerations. Um, I mean, for me, as an educator, AI has, has now created a massive problem for us in the sense that a student can take an assignment question, get AI to, AI to write it for them, and we have no way to detect who did it? So we have to kind of adapt accordingly to, to new changes and kind of maybe use AI in um, coursework, things like essay writing or whatever it is. Um, because at, at present, we have a system where which is called Turnitin. If someone submits um, some student work, it checks to see if it hasn't been plagiarized on the internet. Now that's out the window because of AI. So... There's a lot of people in the in the academic sphere and um, thinking of ways that we can address that without just the waste of time saying to students you can't use AI because we can't detect it. So maybe we have to say something like, for example, use AI to write an essay and then criticize the essay that the AI's written. Maybe something like that. Or reboot so, the pencil and paper essay. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a skill that that that, you know, when you go to university, it's not just about learning um about books. It's not just about learning um, about culture, or in, in in my field at least. It's about developing critical faculties so that when you do go out into the workplace, you're you're better equipped. You have more skills. Um, you can you can analyze things quick. You can you can you can speak. You can articulate things better. Um, but there's there's a concentrated attack in the UK at the moment on humanities subjects by the Conservative government. So it's pretty pretty tricky times at the moment. I'm in the U.S. I don't know too much about what's going on over there, but we, I think we have our own conservative issues as well, too. Oh, yeah. Here. Yeah, you have Ron DeSantis in um, Florida, but banning books, banning books left, right, and center and all of that. And Banning it only makes me want to read it more. I could tell you that much. That's that's what we call the forbidden, uh, the forbidden fruit theory. So when I was a kid, we had what was called the video nasties. So this was 49 films, I believe, that were banned by the government. Yeah, we, we want those films. We want them now, and we will find them. Then he got me thinking it's a marketing ploy, and I'm like, never mind, I'm being tricked or something. <laughs> well, it, it, it did work out very well because these films were made by independent directors with hardly any budget, and now these films are kind of um, seen as, I mean, uh, by, by today's standards, they're not scary. They're not, they're, they're not even gruesome. Um, and it wasn't really about that. It was about the fact that video, video re, uh, cassette tapes were not censored are not controlled in the same way as movies on the screen. So 
they wanted to control the video cassette market, the VHS and and the like then. So it's never really about the, the cultural object. It's about something else. And you always get Republicans in the States talking about freedom of speech, right? Well, banning books is anti-freedom of speech. And it's kind of like they want they want freedom of speech to say what they want to say, but they don't want anyone else to be able to say what they want to say. So it's very it's, interesting. There's a mix-up. I just had an uh, academic on about this. There's a, She wrote a book about hate speech and then free speech. There's a difference there, and some somehow people conflate the two. That you're you have a right to say something, but it, hate speech is a, is illegal. You can't say hateful, derogative things. It would be like you can't just light up something on somebody's porch. You can't do something like that. That's a statement. That's assault of of even of a verbal variety. There's freedom of speech, which is the right to be able to say something as long as it doesn't affect an individual. Yeah. So freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences. Yeah. I think that, that that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, but it's it, you know it's been like that in the states for well, it's probably longer than what I think. But in the eighties, there was a lot of attacks on different types of culture. Like music was attacked by Tipper and the PMRC. Um, Hip hop was attacked. Heavy metal was attacked. It seems that that's what the Republican side do is just attack things because they think that they're going to destroy children's lives when really it's for the it's for political capital for for political gain. Well, if you like rock and roll, you listen to the devil. Remember that. Yeah, I mean, Elvis was one of the first people who they wanted him gone. They thought that Elvis gyrating his hips and stuff was was the devil's work. Absolutely. Ozzy Osbourne, Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, the list goes on. It's not new. I don't know if I'm possessed, but it does sound good. I can tell you that much. Um, <laughs> Billy, I appreciate the time, man. Seriously, thank you again for giving me time to talk on my podcast about this. Uh, is there a place where people can find any of your links? If you have any links to your books, links to, you said you didn't have social media, but any links to academic profile or articles, I can make sure I can link in the description as well, too. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got, I can link it to my profile on, in, in, um, for the university, which has got things like my publications and my and my email address, if anyone wanted to reach out and and um, have free copies of articles and stuff, happy to do that. I'll link those in the description. And Billy, appreciate the time, and thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for next episode.